0: Welcome to Genius Leadership, Overcoming Everything podcast. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighter mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders about their roller coaster ride to leading from their zone of genius. If you find the show valuable, could you do me a favor? Rate and review the podcast, share it with your network so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. And for now, let's take the ride together. Hey, Genius Leader, welcome to the show. Yet again, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being here, for showing up for yourself and really spending this time with us to learn for yourself, to become a better leader of yourself and the others. This is nothing I take for granted, and it's a huge honor for me that you are doing it with us and choose to do it on a weekly basis. So thank you again. Today, you're going to hear a conversation with Davida Ginter from Israel. We call this session, Burning Out Won't Get You There, and this is also the title of her book. Apart from being an author, she's also CEO of Kindle Global an organization and company helps that helps burnout prevention for organizations. And they really work with solutions of burnout prevention on at scale. She is also a speaker and a social change catalyzer. So Davida has started in the nonprofit world and has seen a lot of burnout in that world and studied that on a deeper level in the academic world understand what brings people to burnout and actually how can you prevent it and now she really works hard on uh, preventing the burnout in a a strategic way and as I said on a company and global way uh, levels and in this conversation we're discussing that burnout is a public conversation and a systemic issue and not a personal one I think this is important to emphasize because quite often we think that this is something very personal And people should deal with it on their own. That if someone hits the wall, so to say, it's their fault that they have not set the boundaries, that they did not respect their own boundaries, and so on and so forth. Maybe their ambitions have been too high, whatever it is. And what Davida emphasizes is the scale and the ecosystem that actually brings us to burnouts in in the society. And this is not to put the blame somewhere else. It is more to really open up for a conversation on a different level and look for solutions where they belong. <laughs> it reminds me a bit of what one of my first guests uh, said, uh, Jelma Gislason, when his first company was started. He worked on technical solutions, and by the fifth company that he's started, He focused more and more on people solutions because he realized that most of the problems are actually people problems. And this is the same here. You can't, as just as in Yalmar's example, you can't solve people problems with technical solutions in a healthy, sustainable way. So can't you solve the burnout issue on a personal level? We need to find systemic solutions to this issue. We also discussed something that I have, I have conversations about with quite a lot of my clients about the self-care and how many of the high achievers, my clients, see it as something super selfish. As one of my clients said, and I really like that, and, and that definition kind of resonated with many of the others in our sessions. He said that self-care is okay when you need to regain balance when you need to really get back on your feet. But if it gets to be a lifestyle, that's not okay. And that is selfish, and I'm smiling now right now because I can so resonate with that definition. I have been there myself, and this is why I bring it up with the with David because i it is really a struggle to find that balance of actually having the level of self-care that feels sustainable and at the same time sustainable for the others and for us in our other roles at both at work and in personal life. And Davide is pointing out that self-care is not selfish. Instead, not taking care of yourself is an not unstrategic, not strategic, short-term way of thinking. And that is what selfishness is. So not taking care of yourself is selfish. I want to pause here. Because I think it's important that you soak this in. Not taking care of yourself is selfish. Another point of the many that we've discussed with Davida is that fulfillment should not be on the top of the pyramid of needs, muscle pyramid of needs. Instead, that should be part of its foundation. We discuss quite often that first come the physical need, right, of the safety, that we need to provide food for ourselves, the shelter, and so on. And then the, the higher on the pyramid, we we get the more high-level, more soft, uh, quote-unquote, needs we have. And Davida's point is that fulfillment should not be the, the tip of the pyramid. It should be really something that we should think of as one of these basic needs that we have. And quite honestly, I do agree with her, and I think that this would turn our sustainability journey as a global community to a much better place and we would be able to reach our sustainability goals much further or much quicker. So think about it as well, reflect on that and let us know what you think about the statements that we make in this episode and this conversation. As always, enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. Dear genius leaders, warmest welcome to another conversation about the leadership that you can have as the best version of yourself and lead from that space. Today, I'm very excited to have Davida Ginter as my guest. She is an expert in burnouts or how to prevent them, let's say that way, (laughs) much better way to say it. And I really love Davida's experience and expertise because she's sharing very vulnerably how she as a coach and expert in this topic still can struggle uh herself with the issues of pushing too far, pushing too hard and so on. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I feel like many of us can actually resonate and will recognize ourselves in this dialogue. So mm-hmm. Davida warmest welcome to the show. Thank you. Anna. Thank you for having me. Delighted to be here. It's been a while since we agreed that you will be on the podcast and now we're just waiting for the right moment to to really bring yeah. you a, a, into the topic that really is the shining best light on you and your expertise. So I'm happy that it's finally happening. Yes, thank you. So Davida, before we go into the, the topic of uh, of your expertise, let's start with this question that I usually ask my guests. When you hear the word sustainable business performance, what comes to your mind? The human aspect. That's the first thing that comes to my mind because we keep talking
1: about performance, which is great. We all want to perform on some level or multiple levels. And many times, too often, I would say, we forget to include the human aspect in that definition of performance. And so we grind and hustle all this terminology, right? And we run fast and far without being attentive to our own needs as human beings. I see that everywhere on the personal level, individual level, and, of course, on the systemic level. And so when I think of sustainable performance there uh, with regards to leadership or actually at any level, I keep thinking, where is the human aspect in that to make us sustainable for the long term? So this is the first association that I have.
0: That's a beautiful answer. But Avida, could you uh, share your ideas on when do you think it comes from that we Forget about the the central, which is the human aspect of the whole discussion.
1: I would say that we have two main problems in that area. And again, this comes from working with individuals, with working with organizations as, as systems and exploring that field. And the first one is that we were raised to see organizations and businesses as Entities that need to produce and to create results that we measure through numeric outcomes and how much did we create? And it's not that we don't consider quality, but we just keep seeing this as a linear progress towards an, uh, a quantity that we need to deliver there. Right. So this is one problem, but it's all taken from the industrial area and we neglected to make a true shift towards our times. So we keep saying, oh, we are human-centered organizations, but what are we really doing? Even if we go and talk and listen to employees, but we don't know how to implement it, this is really not enough because we want to change a system with the same tools that we have created and built the system with, right? So this is the first problem. And the second problem that I see is a little more advanced. I see a lot of awareness or growing awareness to this issue, but then people don't really know how to. So either leaders are not fully equipped to make this shift that I mentioned, or we want to do something, but we are afraid to do something too bold, too different, too you know just too daring to, um, to shout out, this is not working anymore. And this is what hinders us from creating
0: this transformation. Uh, That when you say about the second aspect, I directly think about the Nordic countries, especially Denmark and Sweden, where even books uh, written about that and the terms like Jantelage, right? And then in uh, Sweden, they say Mierl Svensson, so like average Svensson. So you shouldn't stick out. Do you see that internationally? So is it not or limited to the Nordic countries.
1: I see it everywhere, but, but there is a big irony in it because we, I say leaders, right? We pride ourselves for innovation, from being different, from being unique, from leading new efforts, for being proactive. And at the same time, when we really need to innovate, even if it means to, to do it totally different, right? To recreate the system, to redesign it, to, to rethink whatever it is. We are afraid, like you said, we need to be in one line with everyone else. Otherwise, we will not be accepted and belong, and we will be too weird. So, where's the innovation there when it comes to everything we discuss with, you know, the needs and humanity in that, and social needs, and and we can go on and on, you know, environmental measurements, whatever it is. So, if we limit the innovation only to create new products and new services. Without innovate, for example, how even workplaces should look like and feel like and what is the entire purpose here, then it's a very limited innovation. We limit our own
0: capacity to dream and think and act big. I love that answer and and the connection you're making there. And it is really interesting to see this polarity right like especially if we talk about Sweden for example I think yeah. that Sweden is supposed to be the most innovative country in Europe at least and then at the same time they are the ones who are really afraid of sticking out so how come we dare to innovate in as you said products for example mm-hmm. and our technologies and services but not innovate in other aspects of our lives and in business in particular so do you to you G- genius leaders in please take it in, as a note and think if you Consider yourself as an innovative company. Maybe you can look at different areas of your business or of your life, yourself as the leader and the employees to see where can and where should and where do I need to innovate here? And how can I apply those knowledge and experiences that I have from innovating in the technology space or in the product space to those other areas? So first homework from this conversation already here. <laughs> So David, you started the, uh, your answer about the sustainable business performance with the human aspect, and this is what you are so passionate about and so knowledgeable in. So let's dive into that. What brought you to working with burnouts, with the prevention of it on the individual and also the corporate level?
1: Yeah, what brought me there was a conversation <laughs> very similar to this one. A few years ago with a colleague of mine, I'm coming from the field of um the intersection between leadership and social change. I've studied in Sweden sustainability and uh, social environmental change, and I was eager to work with leaders and innovators. And while doing that, I have noticed so many of my colleagues and the people I was working with experiencing this, situa- this situation of being stressed out and then burnt out. And so within this, this conversation that I mentioned, I was sitting there with my colleague on screen And we're sharing those observations and we said something along the lines of, we don't need or have to suffer in order to help producing world suffering, right? We can do great things without suffering ourselves, without neglecting our own needs. And I wasn't even familiar with the word burnout back then. I mean, it wasn't on the table. So I went to explore what's happening there in the change-making sphere that causes so many people to get burnt out, which led me to hold many interviews and conversations and publish my book. And from there, it was a very natural way to gather a team, start an organization in Kindle Global. Initially, we started working just with change-makers. It's not just, but that was (laughs) the initial um, audience and groups we were working with. And people came to us, individuals, after those workshops, and they told us, well, this is all great. I'm receiving a lot of tools and ideas and practices, and I can implement those. But tomorrow morning, I'm going back to the very same organization that contributed to my burnout. I'm going back to the same system that is part that is affecting my well-being tremendously and not always in the positive uh, side of things. And that was a big aha moment for us to start exploring how can we tap into the system level? How can we work with those different organizations, not just business or for profit, but pretty much every organization that is based on people, to support them uh, with shifting the perspective, with um, taking into account that human aspect that I mentioned earlier.
0: What a beautiful journey that you actually start with exploration and you're very open and you don't know exactly where you're going, but you just see that there is no need for suffering, as you said. And isn't it ironic that I feel that it is, it is very prominent in the non government, like nonprofit organizations and people who are passionate to change the world, that those people have high risk of burning out, have high risk of deprioritizing themselves because they feel it's selfish. And actually, I had those conversations with people from the business world. Some of my clients say like, yeah, but how can I prioritize self-care as a lifestyle? It's okay when I need to kind of get back in balance, get back on track, then fine. I can like go more selfish <laughs> with my days and planning. But as a lifestyle, why would I do that? That's selfish. and I'm here to, like, to bring value to the others. So when you hear those kinds of conversations, what are your first words to help shift starting to happen?
1: Yeah, that we have a misunderstood contradiction there. It's not a real contradiction. Uh, On the opposite, if we don't take care of ourselves, if we neglect all those needs, we cannot sustain ourselves for the long run and we cannot sustain our mission. So not only it's not egoistic to uh, maintain self-care, it's actually so helpful, valuable, and essential even to keep going, to keep lead and innovate and create an impact. The impact is sustainable if we can be sustainable as as people, as human beings. And also, I see a lot of... Misconception and other myth around burnout, so many of them. So part of what I like to do is to debunk those myths. For example, people think that preventing burnout is all about meditation, you know, sitting there kind of in silence. So it's nice, it's great, it's, it's a great field of practice, but that could not be the only solution or even the primary one. Meditation is wonderful to... Feel aligned with ourselves, but this is really not enough if we don't have trust with the people we are working with, or there's broken communication. Two major causes of burnout, right? If I'm overworking myself and I will still meditate, that will not do. I need to set my boundaries to prevent my burnout. So again, I see a lot of misconceptions and misperceptions around burnout, around well-being, and and a big part of the work is not only to raise awareness, but also to explore what are the real causes and therefore what are the strategic solutions. If I'm coming with all the best intentions, but I'm solving the wrong problem, that will not do, right? Mm. So that's inner inquiry, personal inquiry, but also looking at the more uh, social and systemic level are both important to actually
0: address the right things. What I hear you saying is, first of all, the answer to my question was, the, your, if I might summarize your conclusion there, is that not taking care is selfish and egoistic.
1: I don't know if it's selfish, but not taking care, <laughs> <laughs> I can say it's not strategic. Um, mm. For some people strategic is a is kind of big word. I, I think it's personal, uh, just as, as it is organizational. But I can mm. say not taking care of ourselves is short-term thinking. Mm. It's all about selfish or not selfish. I I believe ma- the majority of the people are not selfish people. Are wonderful people who want to make an impact, right? Mm. But if we think for the short term, with again with all the best intentions, we can only create short term results and short term processes. And if we are here for the long term and deep processes, we really need to do it different.
0: That's good that you clarify. Really about the. Uh, long-term versus short-term wins yes a lot of us can push through and i see from some of my clients people in my network some people are pushing through quite successfully for several decades in a row but so the sustainability and this term the length of the term is also very individual uh, perception right but it's still about being able to to enjoy your life and your work When Definitely. you're 60, 70, whatever, however long you want to work, so that you actually yeah. still have that have have that passion and energy and ability to contribute the way you want. This yeah. is the sustainability we talk about.
1: Yeah, I mean, enjoying what we do is not a privilege. It's not a. It's essential to feel fulfilled to feel that we are doing something meaningful. I would not want to feel guilty for enjoying what I do. I love what I do and that's not only fine, this is for me so important so I could keep going with the causes mm. that drive me,
0: you know, mm. that me towards uh, pursuing my mission. I love that really, that enjoying is not the privilege, enjoying what you do is not a privilege. It's Nowadays, it's really a necessity and I really love that you bring it up. In a way, in a way. way.
1: I think also, you know, people used to work with, for example, let's give you one example, the Maslow Pyramid of of Needs. And it's very hierarchical. So I understand why people love that pyramid. But if you think about it, the fulfillment is only at the top and it takes time to get there. And it makes people think that, again, it's just, you know, the cream, the topping of the cake, and it's Mm -hmm. so unnecessary. And I say, how long can you... And run and create an impact without feeling that fulfillment, that will not last if we put it at the end of the list. I believe it's part of the foundation to feel aligned with what we do, you do. You know that your values are aligned with uh,
0: what you actually create every day. I'm writing down so many of your phrases because they're just golden nuggets about (laughs) fulfillment. It should not be the cream and the topping and the top of the pyramid. It should be part of the foundation. It's so important to understand that. And as you said a bit earlier, what we see is that people can go and meditate, but they're still then going back to some systems and structures that prevent them from being sustainable and feeling fulfilled. So it sounds like the whole conversation about burnout and mental health issues and mental health, good mental health, are a group conversation and it should be a systemic change. Do I understand you correctly? You understand it perfectly.
1: It's a group conversation. It's a public conversation. Mm -hmm. It's a social conversation just as any other pressing global issues. Because one of my biggest realizations when I just started exploring burnout is that it's cross-cultural, cross-sectoral. Mm-hmm. It's a wide phenomenon. And if it's such a wide uh, phenomenon, we should treat it collaboratively, jointly. This is not an individual problem. And of course, it touches individuals. And I'm not taking the responsibility from individuals. However, I don't want a role. The entire responsibility to individuals because i do believe it's a systemic problem and it's a social pressing issue that could and should be addressed widely otherwise we will keep working in those silos and it hasn't been proven to to be working so far
0: mm. i really like it how you po- emphasize that yes the conversation is uh, should be happening on the public level or a society level in the public space but also we still have the responsibility on the individual level uh, to a certain degree. It's a bit like I have conversations about the education
1: in yeah. in many
0: countries, especially in the Nordics, where system works quite well. There is this belief that the government will support me, you know, they, the structures are there to provide for me. But then I see parents go to, be to, to a bit to an extreme, thinking that the preschool and the school will teach everything. teach my kid everything they need to know and what is our responsibility then as parents so this is exactly what you're talking here this is just a parallel one of those areas where it's also seen yes we need to continue improving and modernizing and transforming the education because it's it's hanging behind right with the development and the needs of the life and the work life work work needs on the market right now but at the same time we as parents still have some responsibilities and some things we should be responsible for by br- for bringing up our kids at home and that's the same about the mental health yes we need s- some systemic changes but still every person every individual should contribute something and should take some actions definitely
1: and it has two important aspects to what to what you just said first is that there is no one size that fits all anyway And even if the systemic approach is crucial, is essential here, it will still require individual adjustments. And I want to know that I'm on top of things, that I can choose what fits me. So this is the first aspect. The second one is about being proactive. And when people discuss what is leadership, who is a leader, and I think there's a wider agreement now than there was years ago, that a leader is not the one with the title and with the authority. So who is a leader, basically? And that means that potentially we can all be leaders or lead if we are proactive in our own circles. And that means that I can lead my own family. I don't need to sit in a, I don't know, governmental position. I can lead my own family here, which means that I need to take responsibility for my own circles instead of,
0: you know, keep sitting and
1: waiting for something to happen.
0: Hey, Genius Leader, I'm chiming in here quickly to ask you to do one thing for me. If you're enjoying this episode, share it with one person who you think would find it valuable as well. Let's spread the goodness together so that more people can play within their zone of genius. So let's just get practical here, uh, Davida, and, and think what can individuals do and what can organizations do from your practice and your experience of how you help your clients. And you can start with either way, whatever you feel more um, reasonable to do. If we
1: start with individuals, uh well, there are many, many things we can do. I'm not even talking about specific practices, I'm talking about areas of practices or approaches. But if to name the top or more most helpful, proven to be most helpful, one would be to be in strong alignment with our own values and preferences. That means is whenever there's a gap between what we believe in, what we care for, what we advocate for, whenever there's a gap between those and what we actually do, we are more prone to burnout. So we need to aim to close that gap. We need to aim to be in full alignment with our own values, even if that means to shift our mission, where we work for, what we work on, what we stand up for, where we speak up and for what. So this is one important area to develop this inner compass and keeping in alignment with that. Second area is about building our support systems. We don't need to go through anything alone that comes from a person who felt alone for many, many years. Not because I was alone. I felt that I cannot approach with several issues. Uh, It might not be accepted well. I might be too lazy. I might be, I don't know, too complaining. But no, once I've learned to reach out for support and help, it's not necessarily about reaching out for advice. Sometimes it's needed, but other times it's just about being heard and seen. So once I've learned that, I felt so much more connected and supported. And that also enabled me to give support to others. It's, mm. it's a mutual feeling of this social fabric of those support systems, right? So building these support systems externally, but also internally. What could support me at times of hardship and adversity? For some people, it could be journaling. For others, it could be being in the outdoors for other people it could be playing loud music it doesn't matter as long as you are familiar with your internal support systems but also the external one who can you reach out to and
0: can you tell us I, I really want to park here because or like or go deeper here because i think this is very important practice for many people to understand and and get to know how to start this feeling of being alone just as you said you felt lonely or you felt alone Even though you were not. Mm -hmm. And this is, this is topic that we bring up on the show quite, quite often. And I had a guest, Maxwell Ivy, who was talking about when we are not accepting or or not asking for help, we're robbing the other person of the joy of helping us. And this is really this shift that has to happen that we need to understand that it's not scary or might, might scary. It might be scary in the beginning, but it's not bad to ask for help. Or for listening, for being listened, or for getting some space for ourselves, but it also creates a lot of value for the other side. So, how was your journey with that? How did you start understanding that? Okay, maybe you're not as lonely or alone as you feel, and how did you start practicing reaching out to the others?
1: Yeah, well, it's a, it's a long story. Let's see <laughs> what can I bring. We still have you? some time. No, it's okay. I grew up to a very to a culture of excellence in performance, and then I joined the military service, I had to, which uh, even strengthened this idea that I cannot share personal issues and I need to demonstrate tough leadership at all times. And many people experience similar things in different cultures for, for many reasons. It's not just about, again, those types of organizations. And... And then you start working with people, right? And you cannot share, you feel that you cannot share your own feelings or struggles, but also what is acceptable in the workplace? Is there room for more emotional conversation or not? But when I was struggling again for many years, and then at some point I made a career shift. That that was when I was studied abroad in Sweden, and I joined this uh, master's program for uh, sustainability and leadership that I mentioned earlier and I met new people and I met new approaches to life and I was met also with new acceptance to who can we be, even as leaders, especially as leaders. And the word vulnerability was not even on the table yet. I encountered that a year later, but I felt that vulnerability. I felt a room for vulnerability. And for the first time, I felt that I can share my own struggles without being judged. And that was thanks to really a group of, of wholehearted people who accepted me just as I am without thinking that I'm less because I can share my struggles. And from there, many years, and I learned about vulnerability, and I've learned other leadership styles. And when I had my own team within Kindle Global in the last few years... This is how I wanted my team to be, to gather around mm-hmm. a shared sense of we can work together and make true impact. And at the same time, be personal, be emotional, be vulnerable, because we are people first and producers second. And those are not contradicting. So that was mm-hmm. a short oratorial. I'm not sure. Explanation about my own story. Um, and I see this dilemma continues. I see organizations that do not hold room for emotional conversations without understanding that people carry emotions all the time, right? And if we don't allow room for that, we create those blocks that will become walls at some point, which will create disconnects between people, but also internal disconnects me and myself. And this is the exact
0: opposite of' well-being. Thanks for sharing David and it was not long for sure like not a second too long, I would say because it's very important experience. And what I hear you uh, say is that getting out of your normal environment where not like being the strong uh, pushing through kind of leader was the only, Model that you knew and what that was accepted, getting into environment where something else was okay to explore yeah. was the important part. And I think we we start going into the organization of what the organizations can do. But to summarize that uh, for the individual level, what can can you do? Really look for people with wow. whom you can actually feel safe to explore. Indeed. Quite. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, safe to explore in a way that they will not judge you. And that means that it's not about them nodding with you know, approval all the time. This is really not about that. This is about them hearing you and providing you what you need. If you need feedback, let them provide you the honest feedback. If you need support, if you just need someone to listen, as we said before, this is about finding the people that will be attentive to your needs and be accountable, mutually accountable for that.
0: If You've listened to this and you're like, Where the hell do I find those people? How do I look for them? Do I Google? <laughs> uh, just open up your eyes. And now, maybe it sounds too woo, but open up your heart. I've had those conversations with some of my clients when we start exploring that. And of course, by my, my coaching uh, practices, that saves space for them. But I do want them to get independent from me, right? I don't mm-hmm. want them to be my clients forever for a reason that they still need me only when they. need to get to the new level can they come and I get my support for creating momentum for that spin but in between I want them to be on their own right Uh, not in a lonely way but in a self-sustaining way and once we start practicing those things and I start asking questions about how to look for those people they just come to me and say Anna those are everywhere I talked to this person and I opened up about that and they could resonate and they started sharing their experiences. And then I talked to this person whom I've known for 20 years and and I shared there. And suddenly we were talking on a completely different level than for the previous 20 years. So don't think that it has to be new bunch of people, new relationships, new friendships. No, it can be people who are around you already. It's yes. just about opening up in a different way that can actually create a different dynamics and a, like, create a different space for you to share. Yes. So look where you stand first and foremost. Don't go and start like getting into, I don't know, absolutely new groups. So go on retreats where you feel like totally out of your comfort zone <laughs> just to yeah. find those people. Both directions could serve us.
1: But as you say, we change. and say we evolve all the time. We evolve. And the more we are open to uh, explore, the more opportunities we encounter for sure
0: so if we or maybe you have something else to say to the individuals or shall we go to the corporate or organizational level
1: i think my last point there was to be very clear with ourselves about our boundaries and uh, that could be created in many ways but one quick tool would be to ask ourselves what level up our energy what brings us um Increases our energy and what reduces that, what drains our energy. And once we have clarity about that, it's easier to make choices, right? It's, it's, it's a clear direction. What I want to put my time and effort in because it will increase my energy and my impact at the same time versus what decreases it. And I need to set a clear boundary there.
0: And it, it is a practice as well, David, yes. right? It's not about like here and here I am. I've decided and it will be easy from now on. For forever and ever to limit and set my boundaries and respect them that way. No, yeah, it's a practice. You will roll back, you will develop, and then you will you will go into your old patterns. But having that inner compass and you said, and I, I love this expression, I love use it my, myself a lot as well. It really helps to to create the self-awareness and practice it on a daily basis. Like what feels okay for me? Where do I feel like I'm being stepped on? Where do I feel like I'm stepping on myself? And it gives you the power to actually, to act upon that self-awareness and those insights so that you don't get too far away from where you want to be. And then you just realize it. And, and then you feel depressed because it's too much of a, of a way to go back to, to that alignment. Definitely. Okay. Okay.
1: Definitely.
0: So if we go to the organizational level, what would leaders who, who, ah. who have some managerial positions or some place of power? What can they do to change the environment? Yeah. My
1: favorite topic, I could talk about it for three more hours, but I won't. I'll give, right, the, again, the top that's that come to mind, encouraging open communication. So we want the people, our employees, the staff to come and talk to us, but we can't expect them to come only when the house is on fire. We need to maintain an open and trustworthy communication channel at all times. So we know that when there's a crisis, they feel comfortable to reach out. And there are many ways to do it, one-on-one, and and team check-ins. I do team check-ins with my team all the time. We don't jump right into work. Those are people coming into the room first. Maybe they have been through something during the weekend. I don't know. So be listening, communication, asking thoughtful questions, not open-ended questions that invites yes or no, right? This will not get us far. So be listening and, and cultivating open communication. Another wonderful practice is to encourage and staff or employees development on multiple levels. So this is not just about you need to improve in doing your profession and we will help you with that, but also maybe there are other directions you want to develop as a person. Mm-hmm. And we will support you with that. Even if that means that you work for, I don't know, a tech company, but we will encourage you to go and learn to bake beautiful cakes. Because this is who you are as a person, and that sounds weird. I know. Why would an organization encourage it? Because again, when the person feel fulfilled, many levels, it makes them more at peace with themselves. It increases their well-being, and we all win. The employee, the organization, the system, everyone wins. This is really not about losing great people. People. This is being attentive to. Sustain great people. So that area of development. And again, it's very wide. You can even give them books and podcasts and it would be helpful. Right. And I'd say another very important practice for organizations could be around really asking employees for what they need and go and find those strategic strategic solutions. If we keep guessing, we will keep doing all those. We will keep employing random solutions that are not necessarily addressing the root problems. So really asking about their needs and keep checking that and keep measuring well-being just as we measure every other aspect of the organization.
0: I have a very fresh example of that. Last week I had a strategic call, which I do, uh, with clients who want to test working with me or they maybe don't see the need of working for a six-month commitment that I usually do, but just have some very particular questions or feel stuck in one particular issue, then those strategy calls can be a good thing. And that uh, leader wanted to test some ideas on me before going into the managerial meeting it was the yeah. first time that he as a CEO would meet in person all his managers for the region that he's creating for the bigger company for the parent company and uh, he was uh, suggesting some things like okay and here I want to uh, like increase uh, motivation for for sales conversations so so that people are out there on the floor talking to the potential customer customers instead of sitting in the office and I was thinking of doing this and that as a competition or 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 so and what do you think? And my reply was, first, I barreled back what the dangers could be with different kind of, kinds of competitions and incentives, incentives. And then I said, why do you ask me? Why don't you ask them? Exactly. What would motivate them? Exactly. And it might be a bit of a stupid and obvious thing to say, like why would he need me to come and talk to me about yeah. those things? But that was the, the, the value that he got from the conversation, going and actually talking to his people instead of guessing what yeah, would motivate I, I them.
1: I have this conversation once, several times a week. I meet an HR, a human resources director. I ask them something about their employees and their well-being level and say, I'm not sure any, you need to ask. You need to, you can't keep guessing about their well-being just as you're not guessing the prices of your services. You need to ask and you need to know. We need to expand that definition. What is an organization? What do they measure? What do they care about? And this is often a big "aha" moment for all people involved in the conversation. If you don't know, you need to go and ask.
0: And it's not going to show that you are incompetent. That is going to oh, be. Sh- it's going to show that you are caring. Exactly. Yeah. And you are there to support your people, not to decide for them and just be the master and they are the slaves or minions, and you just run around and do things that oh, you you told I, them. I think
1: we've passed that point of um, yeah. I, I well, I'd like to believe that more and more organizations are in this new phase of we are heading a new era
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Era in the evolution of uh, organizations in general and
0: business organizations in particular. I see that transformation and more and more people are thinking in those terms and trying to learn how to do it on a daily basis. So uh, I'm positive about the development and I hope that you you see that as well in your practice. So what else can organizations do? We talked about the encouraging open communication and asking people instead of trying to guess what would motivate what, what they would need, uh, broadening our development or learning and development plans to include things that not necessarily get directly, are directly related to their responsibilities. Anything else?
1: Well, we can also, um, bring here the aspect of, um, listening to people, um, feedback and opinion. Mm. And take that into account. We mentioned before, one of the causes of burnout is that when people don't feel heard or seen. Mm. And I see all the time organizations who don't ask for this tough opinion. But I see another mistake there. They ask, but then they leave it aside. Mm. So when you actually go and ask for their opinion, but then you do nothing with that, that creates quite resistance there. Because why did we even do that? So there's a second phase in collecting opinions and feedback and, and allow people to speak up, to voice their ideas and concerns even. That will not weaken the, the leadership. I'd say on the contrary. Again, it shows that they care, but the people also feel heard for a reason. Someone really listens
0: there. Yeah, so important. And as you said, it, it is the second part, the implementation that can make it or break it. When we just listen, we get the feedback and then it takes us month and month and then we ignore it because we don't understand any, any anymore what people have answered in those quarterly surveys and people don't remember what they answered themselves. It's just becoming a mess. And then we we just like, okay, let's not mess it up more. And we just leave it as it is. And that is the danger and that really damages um, our people's trust in us as leaders and uh, people's belief in that we can actually listen and and that we care about them, just as you said before. So very, very good point, Davida. Thanks for that. What do you see as the, like There will be last question before we wrap up, what do you see as the main struggles for leaders when they start going on that journey? Um, Some roadblocks maybe that they did not expect when they started or, I don't know, some pushback from the employees suddenly. We see resistance on different levels. One could be a
1: lack of system support. So I can meet a mid-level manager. This person is actually the touch point with the employee. But when this person is not receiving the backup and the support from the system, from the organization, that creates a lot of frustration there. The manager already gets it, but they don't receive what they need. From the senior management, for example, they see it as a waste of time and energy, and they don't see how this could return on the investment, whatever they want to call it. So this is one roadblock there to, to make the entire system care too. This is oftentimes why I insist that the top management should be an essential part of this process. This could not be again rolled over to mid-level managers, or to the employee themselves. Another thing could be is that people feel already overwhelmed, already too busy. We are already doing too much. What well, really, do I need to measure another survey? Do I need to take another training? And I knew that, right? It's not the idea to overload them with more work, more things to do, more assignments, more tasks. And the solution here is to create creative solutions in the way that is more engaging. If there's going to be a conversation anyway, let's make it more engaging and include those aspects of the If we meet our employees, we don't have to jump right into work. We can include a check. If you're already doing a professional training, let's dedicate some of it to exploring into those topics. And everything could be more particip- participatory, but not overloading if it could be created in a way that is actually engaging and meet those people with meaningful conversations. Because mm-hmm. what we don't have time is for the chats, but we always have have time for meaningful conversations once we get into them. For
0: sure. And uh, just as we discussed before, the conversations that can help our people to get stronger in their inner core and in that inner compass, clearer on their values and their preferences and and where the boundaries should go for them. When we open up the space for that kind of exploration on their own or with each other within the team, that is really what helps us help them, what, what helps us to really encourage them to not add too many things to their plate. I see it from my clients. Once they got clear on their values and their purpose and they have that vision of why do I do the things I do? It gets so much easier to say no to things that don't serve you. It gets so much easier to change your mind if that's what you need. When you take some opportunities on and when you engage in some things and then you understand, okay, it's just too much or something happens within the family that you don't have that capacity anymore. A lot of these clients of mine would have been pushing through those moments before Mm -hmm. But now they understand, okay, I'm burning out and then I'm just making everyone, including myself unhappy. My family is unhappy because I can't support them in the time of adversity. This client of mine, for example, is unhappy because I promised something and I deliver 10% of that. I just feel ground, grinded between the two worlds. I just feel unhappy with myself because I'm not fulfilling my own quality of deliverables or my own standards of engagement with my family and so on. So once you have this inner compass tuned in well it gets so much easier to have those conversations that might be uncomfortable but actually that contribute to your sustainable leadership and sustainable living
1: yes i agree
0: it's that long-term thinking that we discussed yes david i would like to wrap up with three questions i usually ask the one will be a bit of a repetition maybe, but maybe you want to cover something else. There are three pieces of advice to the Genius Leaders tuning in. What would you say, what would you like them to take with them from this conversation?
1: Self-care and well-being are not egoistic. Hmm. Um, They are a commitment to ourselves to sustain ourselves and our impact. That would be the first one. The second is that we can, that we can create an impact, a meaningful one and enjoy and those who are not mutually exclusive. And the third one is an advice that I'm never tired of giving to myself and to others, um, which is because it's always, it's, it's a learning process to pause that self judgment that we often employ. We are so good at giving empathy to others. What about empathy towards ourselves? And if there's one thing that is worse than burnout, is burnout coupled with guilt, and we don't need that. So to pause that self-judgment and to accept ourselves, we can always improve and grow, but still it starts with acceptance and not judging ourselves and mm-hmm.
0: keep moving on. I love it. And, and given some couple of practical pieces of advice on that, I would, what I usually discuss with my clients is one I learned from one of their uh, coaches I love and respect hugely, Mia Turnblum. Uh, she's Swedish, so maybe you've heard about her when living there. She says put period. When mm-hmm. you, for example, go on the social media and you see someone and you're like, Oh, her house is always so clean on the pictures. Uh, like everything is so nicely designed. Like looks like some, a huge team of professional interior designers were looking like, we're working on her home and look at my r- little hole here. It looks so crappy and to, 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 no. Have that statement about the other person's house. Period. Don't go into that and look at me or and how about me? And yes. No. Put period. It's very powerful. It changed my life literally when I started applying oh, that to. Yeah, yeah. You can see and, that. And and the other thing, what I sometimes suggest my clients when they go into that self-judgment, I take a person from their life whom they deeply care for and ask, "Would you say those things to that person?" Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, 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 no. Why? I'm, a, I'm not an idiot. I'm not a jerk. I'm like, yeah, but you're a jerk to yourself right now. Why? So have that person in mind, whether it's your partner, some dear friend of yours, your kid, or whatever. And whenever you feel like, okay, yeah, now I'm harsh on myself. Think about like, would I be this harsh on that person in this situation? Just try to twist it that way. Yes, definitely. <laughs> David, one small piece of advice or practical uh, actionable step that the genius leaders can implement today after listening to us.
1: Make a list what you care most about in life. The top five or the top 10. Let's start with five. Make a list what you care most about. And then another, then take, then open your calendar. So you have that list and now open your calendar and compare. Mm. Is your life in alignment? What you actually do? In alignment with what you care about mark those gaps and start work on them that's what i do all the time
0: just one more minute here for for how you do it when you feel for example your family is most important does it mean that they should have most time on your calendar oh i'd say it's about quality time but yeah if
1: i would open my calendar and that has happened. And I would see, and then my family is important. I hope I spend quality time with my children, right? And I suddenly see that I overbooked, overcommitted, whatever. I will make necessary changes. I almost said yes to a business the last Friday. And in the last minute, I said to myself, stop, don't do it. Yes, it's important. But Friday evening with my kids is more important. Push that meeting. I don't regret it, regret it for one
0: minute. That's it. Yeah, it's the same with me. And some people, when they see my calendar, like, "Ooh, you are busy," but that's the thing. My my priorities are there. Training and not anymore because it just happens a bit too ad hoc. But it still happens in a good way. But family time is there. Sam calls with my best friends. They are there yes. because that it is an extra step to consciously compromise with that. So in my calendar, Monday to Friday, five thirty to seven pm is family time. Okay, Friday's or not because that's that date time with my husband from 5.30 (laughs) to later in the evening. And that's the thing. When something pops up in my my calendar that people want me to do on that time, uh, I have a rule that I max do it once per week. And and then I really need to decide, do I really need to do this or can I actually ask to reschedule it somewhere else? And then if some other opportunity pops up for the same week, I see, ooh, I already have one compromise for that rule. Yes. Then I either need to do something with that and reschedule that previous commitment or say no to this one. So it just really, it doesn't create more stress. It creates more awareness of what matters. And just as you said, that is reflected in our days. Yes. And it could, could only be created if you have clarity about what is important for you. Davida, thank you so much for the conversation. If people want to learn more about you, what you do, work with your company, We didn't talk about your book, but maybe mention it now. (laughs) What's the best way to find all that information? Oh, thank
1: you. I have uh, my website, davidaginter.com. And we have the company website, inkindleglobal.com. And if uh, one wants to grab a copy of the book, it's called Burning Out Won't Get You There. And it's available on Amazon, my websites, easy to find.
0: Great. We'll put those links in the show notes to the podcast, which will be released in uh, January. And, uh, yeah, please genius leaders grab your copy, listen to Davida on, uh, on other podcasts that she's been guesting and engage with her company. She has, she provides so much value to her clients, but also to her audience. So follow her on LinkedIn, for example, and uh, engage in conversation. This is what we need. We really need to transform the society and engage in conversations like the ones that Davida is creating is one of the ways to speed up the process. Mm
1: -hmm. I appreciate
0: it. Thank you for a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Davida. Have a great rest of the day and thank you so much, dear Genius Leaders, for tuning in as always. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Genius Leadership. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button to not miss an episode. And to help more people become even better leaders, rate and review our podcast and share it with your communities. For more conversations about living and leading from your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honest conversation about leading yourself and others. And it's my honor to be your guide in overcoming everything.